0: Welcome to The Black Athlete, a podcast where we put the past into the
1: present of Black sports.
0: I'm Lewis Moore.
1: I'm Derek White. We're sports historians here to give you the historical context for contemporary Black athletes.
0: And welcome back to The Black Athlete. I'm Lewis Moore, author of I Fight for a Living and We Will Win the Day. And you can check out my audibles, African-American Athletes Who Made History and also a pastime of their own about Negro League Baseball on Amazon. And I'm still working on that black quarterback book.
1: <laughs> Welcome, Derek White, author of The Institute of Black World, The Challenge of Blackness, Institute of Black World and Politics in the 1970s, as well as Blood, Sweat and Tears, Jay Gaithen, Florida the and m the history of black college football. Welcome back, Lewis Moore. We are back. Welcome back, Derek White. It's been since March. <laughs> the, the, the streets was hot, and I kept getting tweets, man, like, yo, we're we coming back. We need this. Uh, you know, Bomani had to change his address, so it gave us some space to work again. And we appreciate that. Yeah, um, yeah. Before we go, let, let's bring out – we got a special guest. We're coming yes. back live. We're doing three-man weave because it's been a while. Uh, we Rusty. We bring in our uh, regular kind of contributor on this show, almost like our own uh, Shannon Sharp with his – Sharp ideas, Carl wow. Sutherland.
2: Wow!
1: Welcome here. Welcome back. We got a new title, Carl Sutherland. Welcome back.
2: Thank you, thank you. It's always good to be back with you all, man. I, uh, you know, it's one thing to be in the group chat. It's another thing to hop on the pod. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell too much of our group chat uh, information for our podcast listeners. But um, but yeah, it's good to be back with y'all.
1: Yeah. Now, before we start, Carl, can you let the people know what your new title is? uh because this is a big deal
2: this is a big deal oh yeah so since i mean the last time we was on i got two new titles right i got tenure at emory right which are big deals so and i'm running around with the associate professor title these days uh but perhaps more important than that i am a first time dad i am caleb's daddy um uh, so yeah welcome my son into the world back in may so a few months into this fatherhood journey yeah if
0: we had money, you'd hear, doo, doo, doo. like, well, we don't have money to, to play sound, so congratulations. But I'm pumped that you named your son after a black quarterback, so, you know, that, that, that thrills me. So, as USC, and you had three others to pick from, you could have gone with Jimmy Jones, Vince Evans, or Rodney Pete, uh, e- any combination Evans would have worked. Jones would have worked. Pete would have worked Rodney. Uh, but Caleb is, is, you know, he's the Heisman trophy winner. So that's, that's good. That's good stuff right there.
2: That's And, uh, I, mean. and I do have a, a autographed mini helmet, uh, from Caleb Williams. In the nursery. Um, <laughs> But we did have the name pick before Caleb Williams kind of burst onto the scene. So I'm going to just
0: leave it like at that. did you? Because he burst onto the scene <laughs> with did
2: Oklahoma. He wasn't high the baby got here, man. And he was a, <laughs> a, a five-star star high school athlete. He's so, talking about he had a name picked
1: out. Come on, B. Yeah, Come on, yeah. B. I, we don't believe you. What is that? More? We need more people. We need more people. Yeah. All right. I'm, like you I said, know, I'm man. just thrilled. Congratulations, real. There, was, there was a lot Come of
0: black quarterbacks.
1: No, that's good, man. Congratulations to Carl and the new big growing family. As well as a new title, that's a big deal. Getting tenure at Emory University, um, big title. I and that's, all your, and that's your- in Atlanta too, right? Hey,
0: hey. And so, listeners, let me clean something up. Carl is in Atlanta, but that was not him on the Delta flight. So we are, we are, <laughs> we are good. We are good.
1: No. Carl, what are you like the third third person uh, to yeah. go from assistant to associate, third black faculty member to go from assistant to associate
2: at? Yeah, to my to, to my knowledge, I mean, you know, I had dinner recently with the first, uh, Leroy Davis, a couple months back. Mm-hmm. Um, then there was Leslie Harris, um, and then it was me. So Brett Gadsden's in between there as well, but Brett uh, shared his line between two departments and home line, and you know how that stuff gets kind of yeah. complicated, but. Um, so, so I'd like to think it's like three and a half, but, you know, also knowing that those are, you know, the people that I'm kind of following and what that means moving forward. Uh, it is a big deal. And, and Professor
1: Davis wrote that fantastic book on John Hope, uh, the president at Morehouse, Atlanta Baptist, and all those kind of things, Atlanta University. So I, I love his work. So that's a big, you know, congratulations, sir. Come a long way from FAU. Mm. Uh, I feel like, uh, this is me. I'm taking bragging. I'm taking like. 2% of the credit here because uh, Carl called me at some point out the blue. I want to say like a, a decade or so ago, like, hey, should I take this job at uh, FAU? And I was like, you should take it because you can go places from it. You can get a lot of great work done. And so to our good colleagues at uh, FAU, thanks for mentoring this young brother right here. And uh, salute on their progress. And congratulations again on your promotion and promotion to daddy, dad, daddy status.
2: Appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: All right, so we've been away for, I don't know, how many months? Since March. Since March. <laughs> but
0: can I say something? Like, we have excuses. Like, we had to teach, and then we were both working on our book projects, and so things just, and then Derek is trying to go to the PGA, too. I'm so trying to things, be the Champion's Tour. Champions, and he's getting really good. Almost, are you almost, what are you at now? What's well, your I handicap? I don't really want to
1: talk about it. Okay, he's hard almost
0: hard. He's almost a two handicap. This year. It's like, he's there. Two, two plus two fifteen or something. Just like. take the two. Uh, uh <laughs> but we had some time but, and normally we don't do summers anyway. So we are we are back back. So so expect something
1: consistent throughout the year. Yes? And so so we're coming yes. back right where we left off almost. But before we get into because right. like the biggest story of Labor Day weekend is the you know the restart of college football. Um, but before we get in that let's talk a little bit about this documentary on Bishop Sycamore on HBO real quick. Uh BS high Um, I, I'm rarely stunned at this point in my career by sports documentaries. They feel very kind of colored by numbers. You kind of know where things are going, especially because it's part of our job to kind of keep abreast, but that was actually stunning, right? Like that, that, that the story. And so, um, Lou kind of just run down the background of Bishop Sycamore for our listeners who may not remember, or may not be familiar with what happened. The greatest high school. No, I'm just kidding. So, so Bishop
0: Sycamore. Hey so it came onto our radar it's what about a year ago or 2 years ago I can't remember cuz I'm still in this kind of pandemic fog but we all saw them get whooped against IMG so it's a high school but it's a fake high school and to be clear there are what you call prep schools and and if listeners don't know I'm sure you, sure you guys do though but prep schools are created to give kids who are Finishing high school, another opportunity, whether to get academically ready for college, but in the sports world, it is to get ready to try and maybe get a D one scholarship, and also get your academics ready to get that D one scholarship, right? So you're not redshirting and all that stuff. And so this guy out of New York, who for some reason winds up in Ohio because he's an Ohio State fan, plus I think his brother went there years ago. We didn't get a lot of context on this. Created a fake school. Um, with no intention of any of uh, the players going to school. Now, to 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 be fair, this has happened before, right? There are basketball factories, especially basketball, it's easier to do with basketball, right? That only exist for kids to play basketball. Right. I believe that kid, uh who the the Pistons, I want to say the Pistons picked him. He we went to Kansas, or maybe the Pistons didn't pick him, or I think the Kings picked him like Josh Johnson or something, right? Oh, the mm-hmm. Suns picked him. Right when he was his senior year, he was at a basketball school in like the middle of the wine country, Sonoma Valley in in Napa, California, Napa, right Napa Valley, it, right. Yeah. Going he and he went to like four or five different high schools. So these exist on the basketball level, but on the football level, you think this is a lot harder to do because you're dealing with insurance for football, you're dealing with injuries and training staff and all this stuff. But he created a church with a black church that didn't know about it and they cut him off, and so three years it took us the general public three years to find out uh, that this thing was fake. Nobody went to school. Um, Nobody was high school age. It seemed like these are all guys who are 19, 20, maybe even 21 uh, playing football. Um, And I think what's the hardest thing to figure out is like actually why he did it. And the best, the only thing we could come up with is that he's crazy. And I don't know if that's a term we still use, but he's just like, it's just a weird weird, weird thing of exploitation for these kids, but also in this sports bubble, youth sports bubble, that is a multi-billion dollar industry, right? It can only exist because within the last 20, 25 years, we've turned youth sports into a multi-billion dollar industry where parents are crazy, where they spend thousands, thousands of years, where kids are on ESPN playing football in all sports. Now it used to just be that LeBron James game. Now it's like at the beginning of the year, right? And because of that, it creates this perfect storm for something imperfect, something awful to happen. I hope I summed it up correctly.
1: Yeah, that was good. Uh, Carl, come in and and, and
2: give us your newly-tenured take. <laughs> I mean, my, my newly-tenured take was it was probably one of the most... What what are the most... I, I, you say you were shocked by Derek. I, I think I was, like, disappointingly, like... Furious uh, for a host of reasons, right? I mean, the, the head coach did not seem so. The head coach name is Roy Johnson. Uh, it's a black head coach, right? Uh, it's predominantly black kids that are being exploited here in a predominantly black neighborhood. It's a predominantly black church, right? These are black institutions being exploited by black people, um, and. You know, to watch this guy get interviewed for this documentary and just seem unremorseful to not care that the kids were exploited in this kind of way. Um, it just left me, th- I mean, my, the, the tenure take is it left me feeling like this, this guy is a sociopath uh, and he would do it again if the opportunity presented itself. And that's not breaking news because he said in the documentary he would do it again if the opportunity presented itself. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, and I like to think that, you know, you know, did he understand the loopholes? Did he know what he was doing? Did he you know at what point? But 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 it was just one of those documentaries that you just kept watching and and it just like the story just kept getting worse and worse for the kids who were being exploited, right? Um, and you know I I, I guess the documentary's been out for a few weeks now, a couple weeks now, so I don't I don't feel bad, you know, sharing any kind of spoilers for, you know, for people who might have not watched it yet. But, you know, it was just one of those things that like by the time you get to the eligibility issues with these kids thinking they were going to college after this was done was one thing right it was a whole other thing when you got to the point that this man was using their socials and taking out loans and yeah. and you know in, like in fact yeah. having real life ramifications on the rest of their lives right um and so it was, to me it was it, it was pretty infuriating to watch um just watch him sit there and take these interviews in such a way that was just seemed unremorseful. um Yeah, had me thinking, you know, where's the street justice when you need it? No, I mean, I think on both of those ends, I
1: think the thing that was the documentary did, what left me astounded, I think, in the modern sense is is that it started with, like, he at least presented this noble cause. Like, I'm here to help these kids try to find a pathway forward through athletics, which in many ways – is a noble cause, right? We know that the difficult neighborhoods and some of these kids were coming out of the circumstances, whatever they they may be. That sports for a lot of kids. I mean, this is part of the the, the long narrative, right? Carl, your work is about you know how 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 prisons and, and and like the carceral state have played this kind of nexus, like either as an in opposition to sports or in conjunction with sports to try to to keep people on the young people, especially young people of color, on the right path. But what became very clear as as the documentary minutes ticked along is that that was what he was initially telling himself. And the more they talked to him, the more he revealed that none of that was actually true. That he was actually this person who was trying to manipulate. Like he wanted fame and fortune, and uh, and was willing to use these chew these kids up so that he could be in this documentary and to be on ESPN. In some ways, like you know, it felt like a true crime documentary. And it, I came into it as a sports documentary and I walked away as like, dude, if this had been about a serial killer, like I would have felt the same way. You know what I mean? Like that was the way, like it, it, it shifted in such a way that it, that dude was so exploitative of these young people. Um, and I think that that it was, it was utterly tragic for these young, for the kids um, but also revealing to this kind of as, as Lou you pointed out, right, this multi billion dollar industry of high school and youth sports, in which he was able to really kind of filter itself into. And what it did, I think, before we switch gears, is it shine a light on places like IMG, right, which are legitimate places, but also functioning on just the the legitimate side of that coin right. that he was trying to operate in, right. Their kids go
0: to class supposedly, right? And that's the difference, right? They—that's they, probably the, yeah. the major difference. And they right. how much did the IMG clean? Like I think they mentioned how much they clean. Like it's crazy. Like
1: we're oh, talking millions paid. and millions of dollars, millions of dollars. And you know, and IMG's history was a tennis, like it was a place where they started as a tennis youth tennis academy. And so they really have evolved. Like um, you know, because I came through soccer. Like Landon Donovan, that first generation of soccer players, like they all had started at IMG down in Bradenton as well, right? So, like, they started from tennis into these country club sports, really kind of white spaces, and then football and basketball have now just been the last point of this kind of thing. And then because they've got that kind of rich legacy, their weight rooms and facilities are, like, better than most, you know, mid-tier Division I programs. Um, But it's also saying that there's a whole lot of space, right? There's, you know... I thought the kids' discussion of IMG, too, was also interesting, like that they had held IMG in such a light, like, oh my God, we're going to play IMG, that's the, like for them, that was the pinnacle of their like high school career, not the best team in the state, not the, you know, whatever. It was like, we get to play against IMG. And now that we have made it, because we're going to do it, play IMG and be on TV and that there's going to be some possibilities to emerge yeah. out of that. And I thought that was, that was a psychotic, like, you know, you have a high schooler, Lou, but you know, I don't. And so I don't really, I was not really, that caught me off guard as well. Cause I don't think of IMG as some like aspirational kind of opponent, the way we would talk about like an Alabama at its peak or Georgia or any of those kinds of places.
0: Right. And I think too, it's like species, this idea of everyone wants to look right. Like just my only way is to get this look. And so the parents, the adults, the other adults. Look, Roy Johnson is a confidence man. He's a con man. He's a card artist. He's a schemer. He's all these bad things. But the adults in the room weren't like, that coach was sitting right next to him. It was like, yeah, like you're bouncing checks, right? Or the two moms that checked in, like the parents that sent their kids there um, at 19, 20 years old, thinking that it was a prep school. But like, dude, you're not really going to school. And all of a sudden, they're stealing stuff. And like, this guy is just awful that he put him through that, right? And there was no what got me is that there's there's no end game to it other than just getting on TV. Like it wasn't like he was, I mean, he's still a social for kids who have nothing, right? And so it wasn't like he was using it to get millions of dollars, he was using it to get from hotel to motel to apartment with no real end game. Like it's a really weird, like I'm not, I'm not dissing him as a criminal, but it was just like, it was just exploitive to be exploitive. Right. And, and again, I keep coming back to this idea that it could only happen in this new youth sports bubble where prep schools were, people are just playing football or okay. Right. Where, you know, you know what I mean? Like this yeah. getting on TV is the, the end goal for these guys. Cause I might get a look to a scholarship. Um, just a little taste where right, I can get to college. Right. Because the cost of college is just so high and it keeps, there's no, I don't think there's an end inside of it ever. The price ever coming down. Right. Like me being at a school, affordable school, it's really expensive and it goes up, you know, every year, every year, um, and these kids, that's all they want. Right. It's just that shot. And, and as you guys mentioned, it was heartbreaking at the end to, to realize that at the very end, when it was over, they realized that they got scammed. Right. And And nothing good came out of it. And then physically putting those kids in back to back, like literally back to back games. Right. And it's just, but, but this has always been, I think, and this is, we talk about amateurism when we teach sports. This has always been like the thing about big time sports, right? Like college football started out with what you call tramp players, right? Like kids who weren't even in college going from school to school, selling their services. That's what it was. And that's why the NCAA cracked down on like major, major, major regulation. Then it just got too out of control. But this is, this is sport in America, right? Everyone's trying to get somebody, some get somebody better. And he just took it and ran with it. And scammed everybody and ruined everybody's lives in the process, except his own. Like he is unscathed. What is he doing? Like he's got a bad reputation. He doesn't care about that. He's being sued. He doesn't care about that. There are no or as Carl said, there's no street justice that we know of so far, right? Um, Coming his way, and there's no. I know somebody on here is like anti-jail time, but there's no like jail time. there's nothing, no penalty that he's ever taken except that he just can't continue to scam in
1: Ohio uh, with football. I will say this, and they weren't good. You talk about tramp athletes, at least, they, you know, you hire tramp athletes at you know, at these schools in the turn of the century, that they were good players. Like he was th- like they were losing to all those games. Right. Like, like it was well like he normal. can't coach. Well, uh, I mean, some of it's that. But also some of it is that, like the reason with those kids, they wanted opportunities but they weren't getting them is also tied to the fact that some of them were not particularly skilled. Right. Like, I think that's a reality, right? Like, and,
0: Yeah, you're right. Cause that's the other thing is that for the majority of those guys, and we've seen it on Netflix with last chance. You, it's the same type of thing, yeah. but they'll go to like JC and get exploited and just go to a crappy situation. in JC. But it seems like where this guy's the scammers, he intervened in that. Whereas these guys might've gone to a local JC he was hitting them up on social and yeah. saying, hey, come to this prep school. We'll get you right. And then you can skip that process. Whereas most people in the last chance you era or even before that, everybody goes to JC mainly for football, right? To get right. Like I've never heard of a prep school for football just because like by this time, everyone's 20 years old. And it's like, you know, it's like, well, kind of hard I, to do.
1: you know, uh, I, the prep schools for football exist. Right. But it is a it is not. It is not in the football playing areas. Most of the football prep places are in New England, right? Like like, like Maine
0: or whatever. Yeah, yeah
1: like so. It's a lot of Maine, a lot of Massachusetts, a lot of like you would be surprised at the number of kids in the Ivy League who spend at least a year at a prep okay. school, right? Because they have grades. It's not that they don't. Some of it's like they either have the grades or they're at the cusp, right? They're really really smart, but they like they need a you know. A hundred extra points on the SAT, or they need to get bigger so that they can play Division One. You know what I mean? Like, and and that's. And that's a space where you see that a lot of that and those um, Division three schools use a lot of those prep school kids as well. We just don't JUCO for the rest of the football play like in the southeast. Like that's where most of those kids end up is right. they just end up at the local JUCO in Mississippi or Kansas or
0: some <laughs> random school in Can- or yeah, <laughs> Kansas think, or Nebraska or, Cal- or Texas, California, which had California, a huge JUCO. Yeah. 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 Well, that quarterback
1: wind up he's
0: at Elac, so the same school we talk about last chance you that does the basketball last chance you. He's actually playing football there. Okay. Um, and they are I believe they won their first game this year. I watched some highlights. So okay. he did not get the Grambling Scholarship. Hugh, Hugh Jackson uh, reneged on that just because – and I think his mom was saying, like, it's this, that bitches, Bishop Sycamore stuff, right? Once that came out, you were done. I mean, uh, and so now he's rebuilding himself, which is probably the first place he should have gone was G- Juco.
1: I mean, I suspect that Grambling did not have the compliance staff to figure out. That's a lot. <laughs> To figure <laughs> out how they were going to negotiate a, a fake no school, school. <laughs> right like a fake school and all like that was already going to be a complicated case uh in the best case scenario um and so i think once it came out there was a fake school that it was already it was like too too much for the infrastructure at a place like Grambling. that that's yeah. on their end i mean i don't want them to make out like he Hall as bishop sycamore i just think that they were like dude the risk reward was just not there for them when they could probably find someone of equal caliber with less risk. And they did what they lost this weekend
0: too, by the way, I like it. that game was on. And yeah, every time they turned to Hugh, he did not look happy on the sidelines, but I <laughs> had a chance. So,
1: Speaking of this weekend, uh let, let's talk about it. Last time we were on here, I think we were talking about Dion. I feel like it was like 16 years it ago. It was
0: like, so we did Dion, then we did black bodies of football. So we had, uh, yeah, uh, we did the Demar Hamlin, and then we did Jaw, and then since March we have taken a break. But this is our third Dion episode. Yeah, we did
1: three. Uh, we, this, this is what cool. Prime
0: brings, though. This is what Prime
1: brings. Um, it's shout out to Dion and, and Colorado. They, uh, I don't, I won't say they were twenty point underdogs. So uh, we are not the only people who thought that they were gonna lose. Um, they did a masterful job. Uh, and and Dion, as he has always done in his career, talked his cash uh, after. Uh, before, after, enduring that game, uh, and so uh, hats off to, to to Colorado. But what you know? What do we you know? Now we are about to get a full week. We're we're on to recording on Tuesday. We're about to get a full week of unadulterated Dion. I thought is I thought I thought TCU's coaching staff did a poor job because they should have been like, "Are y'all looking at these ads for our game against Colorado?" we were in the national championship game last week and all those ads are about Dion. Like there was yeah. like a lot, like I didn't feel like they played with the kind of chip on their shoulder that they should have played with. Like, a, like a good team, like Alabama would be like, you know what? We feel just dis- like Kirby smart. Like they disrespected us. Right. Only one team didn't vote. Bo- you know what I mean? Like that kind of ethos. Um, and they didn't play particularly well or aggressive. I didn't think for the whole game. Uh, and then they got punched in the mouth. Uh, and they didn't have nothing, to, no answer for, for Colorado's skill guys, which was uh, a problem.
0: All three of them, right? But <laughs> like that freshman running back is nasty. Like he's really, really, really good. And that's the one thing I think Prime Dion will bring is that you're going to get more four or five, four or five stars. And I'll say this: then we'll pass it to Carl. One thing that, two things that stand out about Dion: one is that he has this ability to absorb all the the spotlight right it's a weird you know he is there he's gonna take it all but at the same time unlike anybody else he can share the spotlight right like whereas we're so used to the college coach as being that guy right like being up front he's stoic he's respectable he's mature and dion is opposite that dion's out front he's center he knows he's the guy but he also shines light on his players unlike any college coach, probably major has done, maybe John Merritt, we can get into that Merritt who's at Tennessee state from the sixties to the eighties. But unlike anyone before him, right? Like I was watching, we speak about documentaries that Johnny Manziel documentary. Like mm-hmm. I couldn't even talk as a freshman. Right. So nobody knew who he was. Yes. He was just out here making money. And then he made up this story about all this other stuff. Whereas Dion is like, I'm going to be on the show, this show. I'm going to be on this show. I'm going to be on this show. But also, you're coming with me, right? I'm big up Travis Hunter, and then Shadur and then Shiloh could tackle him too, right? Like, this kind <laughs> of Like if you come to Colorado, and that gets me to the second point, it's totally going to change, just for one person, because there's only one Dion. Yeah. The narrative of college football. Like, I think, just as every... College coach at AD was scared a couple years ago. Oh, my God, like 2014, 2015, when the black players from Missouri was like, we're going to protest this game. <laughs> we're not going to play. They're Whoa. scared of Dion in that way. That here's somebody who, for the first time ever in the history of college football, has like a real close connection with these players. Mm-hmm. Right? Like all these other, and this is no knockout like James Franklin. And maybe your guy at Maryland has this connection too, but we just yeah. don't talk about him in a national light. But he can come in and he can walk that walk. He could talk that talk. Plus, the NIL, it changes. He's going to have his pickup players. I think people bounced early on him. And if he keeps winning, even if he gets to six and six, what's that? I don't know the math on how many games they're playing, like five well, or yeah, six and six. He's, he's getting four or five stars recruits from here on out. If he's at Colorado, if he's at Texas, if he's at Florida state and I think all these other college coaches fear, we got a little bit of that with Pitt, where that guy from Pitt got mad. Cause he's bringing in all the transfer portals, but the combination of the rules of the portals, the NIL, his personality changes the game, the landscape of college football within the next four to five years. As these classes, as he brings in four or five start recruits and they come, they gel together. It's going to be like, I'm thinking national championship at the national championship in like four years when, when kids get older plus Shador, by the way, and we'll pass the Carl is the best quarterback in college football.
1: Wow.
0: And it's not, it's yeah. Yeah. Caleb, he's on, Caleb, I, like, Caleb, I like to respond. He's on time. Like all these Shador throws on time. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. Go ahead.
2: I've talked too much, man. I'm going to come back to the quarterback comment because I like yeah. Shador. Shout, shout, shout out Shador, who who uh, I think front office sports reported that his, he's not projected to make $3.8 million uh, in mill this season after coming into the season at like 1.3. And so one, one game after one, one game in, he increases projection by two and a half million dollars. So shout out to Shador for real with uh, making that money. I mean, that's, that's that's more than a lot of NFL quarterbacks get in their salary, and their base salary, right? In their annual it's way
1: more than Joe Burrell made this year's base salary. <laughs> oh, <this laughs> was, Damn. Joe Burrell
2: is like one point one this year, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's good on yeah, he's good though. He'll be good. I, I mean yeah, they get in signing bonuses and everything else. But 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 yeah. it's still it's still it's still impressive to see, right? Um so shout out to door So I'm not gonna, you know, I'm not gonna entertain Lou trying to reel me in on the the caleb williams first door we, you know we'll, we'll we'll see that conversation in new york city at the end of the season um but um no nah, i think uh if i remember right when we were last talking about dion on the show you know i thought i thought you know i mean i i kind of played molly between you know shannon and stephen a between the two <laughs> of you here, but um but uh you know we, a, a lot of that conversation about you know what would it be like to go to a school like Colorado, right? It's not necessarily your, your powerhouse power five, you know, is he really going to have to do, you know, he showed up, he said he got his luggage with him and it's Louis, and, um, and, and he just keeps proving everybody wrong as, as he's doing it, right? Like he's, he's doing what he's saying and he's saying what he's doing and it, it it's been impressive to watch. Um, I do think, you know, you know, shout out Pac-12 and it's, you know, sunset season went undefeated in the first two weeks of college football, um, you know. and So but I, so I think, you know, it'll be interesting to watch as their season progresses and they get into kind of the throes of, of the college schedule in Pac-12 about just how many of these games they can actually pull off. Uh, you know, USC comes to town, goes to Boulder. The end of September. That's going to be a big one. They got Oregon. They got Washington with my, Hoosier, my former Hoosier, Michael Penix at quarterback, who also might be better than Shador. But I'll save that for a different conversation. Um, you know, it, it lose black quarterback conversation. Um, but no, I think I think um, you know. In terms of, uh, I, 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 I think watching Dion on that first game on Saturday, and then watching Dabo and Clemson totally. Mm. For lack of a better word, you know, Atlanta airplane to bed, um, you know, yesterday, right? I, I think you see the two, the, the two college, you see the two college head coach in this new era difference, right? Like they said, Deion has 51 transfer portal players. Clemson has one. Yeah. Clemson loses to Duke. Dabo's anti-nil. Dabo's Dabo's anti twenty first century, right, in a, b- a bunch of different ways, um, and it, it, and it seems like the chickens are coming home to roost on Clemson, um, all of a sudden, right? Like losing to Duke, like I get it with that Duke, and you know they have a you know an interesting quarterback, but uh, but but yeah, I, I think you know juxtaposing the college football weekend with Dion in that first game and Dabo in this last game actually shows a lot about the direction of college football. Uh, my fear is that people try to find and chase who the next dion will be and i don't know if that's actually you know but sorry. there's no
0: next well i would say to you about claims is like who wants to go be exploited on an ex-slave plantation right like that's that's the whole point like if you just say that to these guys like i don't want you to get paid i mean obviously i'm get nil but it's just like you said it just changes the landscape the other thing about about dion is that he's the first we talked about this in december Black coach to come from an HBCU to go to a Power Five. So there's only been three, right? There's uh, my man went to Wichita State. The white guy, I forget his name, went to I want to say Southern Miss, and here's Dion on a Power Five. In in a copycat sport, we'll see. Because they always say football's copycat. Are they and Derek? You're the HBCU guy with the with the the excellent book, "Bless Sweat and Tears." Are Power Five schools or even? You <laughs> know, non-power five schools are they going to look to HBCUs for their next Dion? For is is he going to have that impact? Because that was always, I think, the 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 larger question around Dion is what's going to happen not in Jack State but everybody else. Like our TVs are going to show up. They kind of started. They're still showing up, right? But uh is that coach, that next coach who wants to go? A lot of these guys are kind of there who wants to go. Is someone else going to get that opportunity?
1: I mean, yeah, I think I think there are a couple coaches in the pipeline. I think black colleges are funny because they, like you said, like there is a network of coaches who felt like their opportunities to be a head coach at at any were much greater at an HBCU than they ever would be at any PWI, and so they were able to create a car, entire careers. Buddy Peugh's retiring. This is last year at uh, South Carolina State, who's a legend, uh, who also defeated uh dion in the celebration of two years ago right um the, the, i think there are going to be coaches in the queue right i think in north carolina central's head coach who beat also beat uh dion last year and so they're, they're like the number one hbcu team he's going to get some looks willie simmons at florida a&m was up for i think he inter- quietly interviewed for some jobs last year i think he interviewed for the south florida job um you know, I think those two are at the top of the list of like, who can we po- like, who can we get with head coaching experience who can connect with these kids who could be very, as you pointed out, Carl, your phrase about modern, right? This modern kind of coaching space, uh, but without any of the previous PWI, like they had been an assistant, like they don't have the resume of Kevin Sumlin or, or even Mike Loxley, where they had been an offensive coordinator. I think someone's going to take a chance. Because at some point, like, what's there's no harm. Like all, no. all coaches are getting fired, right? Like at some point, all these coaches are getting fired, right? Like, right. And the With window, major buyouts too, <laughs> right? Like, like so, like the, the 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 stakes. You know, we I think there's a lot of uh, assumptions that like, man, this coach is going to be Bear Bryant. Think going to be here for thirty some odd years, but in reality, most coaches are there for like four or five. Years. Most people don't even get a second contract at the same institution, right? And so all of its risk. And so the question is, can the alumni, uh, the athletic department, stomach pan, a black person, a buyout like Kevin Sumlin still getting paid, uh, getting paid Texas A&M money, still getting paid Arizona money all only to be on Mike Loxley's staff uh, as like the, probably the blackest (laughs) off, like the blackest coaching staff in college football right now. Right. Um, and so like there's a there's opportunities for these guys, and I think they get to bring ideas when you have less talent, I think when you have less talent and you have to be more creative in your recruiting and and how you finding players. and I think that helps you in the long term when you can go in the room. But nobody's going to be Dion. like Dion was already a celebrity. I think this is your point, Carl. This is the point you made in December. Like Dion already was a celebrity, so like he's more famous than every coach in Division one. Except for Nick Saban, right? And Nick Saban is only as famous as him because he was like he might be the greatest coach in modern college football history, right? Like it takes that level of success to be on par. Dabble's got two national titles, not as famous, right? Like uh 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 who's Kirby Smart at Georgia. Two back to back that not as famous as Dion. De- 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 I saw more Dion commercials during that game that it, I like. He was on the sideline, there were Dion De- commercials every break. I was like, dude, their family is getting paid off this college football. And that's something that, like, we talked about. You know, my disappointment is uh, in December was like, you know, do black spaces get to have that kind of uh, attention? Right. Does Jackson State or HBCU, they deserve that kind of that their history, their legacy? And Dion was the person that could have could have forcefully brought them into that kind of space. And he did, but then I think there were many more steps short of. And so what he's been able to accomplish in like literally three months, six months at Colorado, um, you know, gives us a window. Man, what have you been able to do that at uh, well at Howard, for example, right? Like a school that is not quite um jackson state with his own kind of financial struggles but has a and you in dc and you put that kind of in it like the world would be completely different in a kind of space and howard would be which is already the mecca could you imagine like howard alone they would be hard to deal with uh more hard to deal with than they already are
2: <laughs> at this time right like i think that's a, that was the potential that he gave up on to go to colorado to, to, that, to that point, Derek, I think one of the things that I that I thought was interesting around the conversation with Colorado's game came when they asked Shador what it was like, what was the difference between playing football at an HBCU compared to playing at a Power 5? And Shador said it wasn't that different, right? Um, now, we'd probably put our heads together and say it's a different game, right? Um you know, and and I know a little bit before the pod we we started recording, we were talking about Shador did make some leaps, right, in terms of the Shador we saw on the field last season compared to the Shador we saw on the field this season. Um, but 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 I do think you know one of the things that 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 I think part part of our surprise wasn't that it was just they beat TCU at home after TCU was just in a championship last year. Part of our surprise was they really did it with only, like, three guys, right? Like, and there's no shade to the other players on the team. And there were players that made some timely plays, both on defense and on offense, right? Um, there were guys making catches. But it was really Shador Travis Hunter and the freshman running back. Right. right? I think they had four guys get a hundred yeah. though, right? Like, and so Horn, right, right. Horn. And, right, right, right. Horn, and Horn. Horn, Horn. Yeah. He, yeah, and yeah, Horn. Yeah. Horn
0: dropped one too. Was, ooh,
2: yeah. yeah. Hunter Hunter yeah. dropped one too, early, right? Uh, yeah, but, yeah. but but, yep. but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So but 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 it's interesting, right? Because we one of the things that when we talked about it back in December, when we talked about it was like you know it's hard to flip an entire program in football, unlike basketball, because you need so many players, right, to actually make that flip happen. And then Dion did it by just boosting the skill the skill positions in a way that now I think I think it's gonna I think it's gonna run its, now I might be wrong and we might record in December and they're gonna be on their way to the college football playoff and I'm gonna be like damn I missed it right but but by, by just enhancing his skill players to such a level uh he was like I'm ready to compete with anybody right like I, I'm gonna be able to score with anybody and if he's able to hold that over to like I think that is as transformational as anything right because what we know is that you know what wins these college football championships are the lines and uh I don't remember hearing anybody from Colorado's defensive line or offensive line get a shout out in the game on Saturday
1: well, I'm going to give them a shout-out. Let me just talk two things. One, their offensive line, I think they had one – like all this whole new offense had one procedural penalty, penalty, so it speaks to the level of coaching. That's a, I think that's a positive. Uh, and two, uh, my former student, Shane Coates, is a is – a, I don't know, they don't have captains, but he's a captain on the team. Uh, uh, plays on the defensive line. I, I didn't know if they would hold up, right? Like I think that's been the surprise. Now the question, you know, one week don't make a season, right? Like as a Maryland alum – you know, my chief takeaway was like, man, that's a lot of excitement. And I was like, dude, we beat Texas the first game of the year, two years in a row. And one of those years we went four and eight, right? Like at some point, like you can you can have a really great first week and everything go right, but the, the, the challenge is depth, right? The challenge is like, dude, what happens when the guard gets nicked, right? What happens when the tackle gets nicked or you lose a player, right? Not even the skill guys, in the trenches, right? And it means that you got to, as you pointed out, Carl, you got to play Washington. You got to play Oregon. You're going to have to go to Oregon state because DJ's trying to resurrect his career up there. Right. You're going to have to fight, play a feisty Arizona and Arizona state team who are going to, you know, now, and because Dion has, like you point out, so much energy around Dion, these coaches are like, now I'm about to make my name off of it. Right. Like, uh, and, and, and there's a lot of, there's a and he can deal with that kind of energy energy but like I think the question becomes does he have the depth in his roster and the last point I want to hear y'all's thoughts on this I actually thought as great as Travis Hunter played as a as a parent and as a football fan I thought it was dangerously close to being too exploitative for him to play 129 snaps in a game like Given what we know about the physical toll of football, to play 129 snaps seems criminal, even though you're playing outside and wide receiver. Like, that still seems, to me, I have questions. And I brought up, I told Lou this last week when we were talking during the game, it reminded me of like all those Big Ten running backs. Michigan and Michigan State used to have those running backs. And you look up, man, and they're trying to salt games away in the middle of the year in the big 10 and they look up and they got 55 carries and they're like first round picks and they ain't never do anything in the NFL because they had 500 carries <laughs> in college. Right. right. Like it just seems to me that benefits, you know, that may benefit Hunter cause there's NIL money and there's, there's money for to be made in this immediate moment, but it doesn't help him have a, like, I don't know if how much that helps him have a career. Does that make sense? Right. Like, I saw Stefan Diggs catch 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 passes from a linebacker, and now is the third best wide receiver in like. You know what I mean? Like you ain't got to play 129 snaps to be a, a a first round pick and to have a long career. And so the question, the thing that I'm monitoring, 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 monitoring um, from here on out is how many snaps will he play every single week? Because he's on pace to play a thousand snaps in a season. And that is, a, when I say it like that, that's criminal. You know that, right? Like a thousand. But they used
0: to go two ways Derek. No, I was. I was
1: a thousand stats yeah, is like a career. Yeah.
0: Right. <laughs> he needs a pitch count, right? He needs, and I think Dion, but that's the ego of Dion, right? And I think instead of saying, yeah, he got a lot, Dion was like, he's just a dog and he's built like that. And I'm going to get more like that. And that's Dion being Dion. And I just hope that people, like, I think he needs a pitch count. Right. And I think maybe you institute that somehow so you prevent that. Um, uh, which would be really hard for coaching, right? <laughs> Just like, damn, how much do I play him? And and Dion was trying to get him to Heisman. But you're right. Like I think at a certain point you're gonna this kid's gonna break down. And he's lucky they won, right? Because if they lost, it would have been the narrative about him playing so many snaps would have been even worse. Now it's like we're gonna celebrate him. He's him. I think we're all saying that. But I do think there is a level, a certain level where you need to chill. Like, unless he's gonna, cause he's still got one more year. Yeah. Right. Um. And that's criminal. And that's not his fault. That's not DM's fault. That's the you know the NBA, uh, NFL, and CBA's fault, right? And and how they bargain these things. Does but, he
1: have another year? I don't know if he's draft eligible I this because j- I, cause I he looked like, it up? Because he's like, yeah. you know, like it's it's weird. Because he did he come during the COVID? Because like that COVID year is all weird. Yeah. But know. I think we've talked about his his recruiting class and, and
0: talked about him before. Um, but I hope, you know, he gets some rest in that Colorado state game. But if you look at that schedule, it's a beast and there is no, there are no rests. And so I think one thing that sticks out to me about them is that that coaching staff is really, really good. Like the OC is not going to be there for long. He's, he's like, if I'm Colorado, I'm giving him all kinds of money. Understanding that Dion's going to leave pretty soon and to keep this guy here because he, I mean, they were, they were pretty flawless. And I think, moving down the line, they're gonna have to figure out like how can we keep Travis Hunter in, in plays that we know we're gonna need him on defense and then on offense too. Right. But but he showed everything, right? He's got that deep ball skill. He caught that amazing play on like what third and sixteen. Yeah. He got that pick. He dropped another pick. Um so he mm-hmm. dropped the touchdown. He dropped the pick. Instinctively, he's amazing. Like I could see him as a top five if you're right, if Dion doesn't ruin him. He's a top five pick, and then what helped him out even more, I think, than his play, was those basketball videos that that came out. I think the other day of him playing pickup hoops, where you see him, what he's got, he's he's got hops, right? I don't know how tall he is, but he's the legit like straight athlete, right? Where it's just like, kid's a beast, and I just hope he gets that second NFL contract, right? That first NFL contract, he'll get a little signing bonus. But it's that second NFL contract that you hope he gets to because he's not. Dion was a big guy. Dion was built to last, right? Bo who Bo Jackson was a big guy and Bo was built to last. Like Travis seems kind of slight, but I think too, he also knows how not to get hit. Like he's figured that out. I just hope that the wear and tear doesn't get to him, just like John Gruden would do to Cadillac Williams, like to his guys. Like there's a lot. There's only so much the body can take and you just hope it doesn't diminish him before he gets that big, big check. But if it is, I know he's getting crazy NIL now because he's he's a super-duper star, right? He's got to be like $5 million a year type guy pretty soon.
2: Yeah, Carl? Yeah, no. To the, I mean, yeah, they got to put him on a pitch count, right? I mean, they got to put him on a count. They, they can't run him out there 100-plus plays week in and week out. Um, and, and and I think it's going to come down to also making the decision on where you play on more, right, on offense or on defense, right? Because Shador clearly has a rapport with him, right? He had a, a, like 11 catches or something wild, like, mm-hmm. you know, like, and, and that doesn't count. So I'm not sure how many targets he had, but Shador was Shador was looking for him, right? And they definitely have that kind of relationship. And so it's like you know, do you need him more on offense or do you need him more on defense? Right. And, and I think the other thing is there were clearly times like he wouldn't admit it. Right. But that we could see him out there and he was gas. Right. And, and this was, and, and this was against, you know, not the TCU offense that we've seen these last few years, neither. Right. Like Mm -hmm. Max Duggan was at TCU, the quarterback for, you know, eight seasons before this. Right. Like, I didn't know who DCU's quarterback was going into this year, but but we all knew who Max Duggan and Quentin Johnson were last year, right? That kind of carried that offense. And I think when we, you know, as you said, when you start thinking about who these quarterback and receiver tandems are in the Pac-12 this year, right? Like Michael Michael Penix is slinging that thing. Bo Nix and Oregon just hung eighty-one, right? Like U.S. Caleb Williams can throw the ball to whoever he wants to on the field, like. And I think all of a sudden, if you're if you're out there for eleven, twelve catches on offense. And then you're going out to defend against these quarterbacks in the Pac-12. All of a sudden, that you know, the the they're, they're going to look for you, right? And 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 I think you know, like like there's an element of kind of ending up being exposed. That I, you know, may, maybe he's up for the challenge, right? Again, Dion says he's him. I'm gonna believe he's him, right? Like, and and, and I, until I learn otherwise, but but I do feel like we're gonna learn otherwise.
1: Well, I mean, I just I looked it up. So, uh, Lou, to your question how big he, uh, he came out at one? he's one, about 190, uh, 195, somewhere around there. Uh, he played 150, 51 snaps uh, officially on Saturday. That's crazy. Like, Damn. that's really? crazy. I'm just, I'm oh sorry. That's crazy number, dude. Like, I thought it was 129. Right. I, it was 150 was the official count, right? And wow. man, I think, Carl, your point about the Pac-12, The Pac-12 has the best quarterbacks in the country, like from top to bottom, right? Like we're looking at like all these programs. Washington State's got a good quarterback. Oregon State's got DJ, I can never say his last name, from Clemson, right? You got obviously the Heisman Trophy woman, Caleb, right? Um, uh, Michael Penix is going to be, he got a chance to get on that stage. Obviously, Shadour Sanders, like, but if you're, if you're, Playing against Colorado and Travis Hunter, at some point, dude, you're just sending dudes out there to run nine against him. Be like, yo, I need you to run these nines. Because, because right. like, we're going to open it up later. Now Maybe he could do that. But, like like you said, he going to still have to do that week after week after week where he has to play these high-end programs. And it's almost a shame in, in, in the Pac-12's last season that this might be the best season that they have from top to bottom In like probably fifteen years or more, right? Like
0: ages, yeah, yeah. Like
1: and so you know this is a this is a tough. This schedule is was already tough. We were talking about it in December. I was like, dude, there's there's like one of the possible now. You know, I think there might be four. Like you know, we we might be able to get bored, but that top end of that conference: Washington, Oregon, USC, UCLA in the middle. Utah's the reigning champ. Like those five programs alone you wouldn't all in the same season is too much. And I think then you got T te- you know, a lot of these teams are real little, they don't like Dion. They're mad at the conference, Stanford Cal. I think a lot of those teams are going to try to, you know, they circle in the schedule now. Like that's the game where we are gonna get all the quick plays. We're going to get all the, we're going to open the entire playbook. Like that's, and I don't know. Um, Sean Lewis also was a coach at Kent state last year. They had an amazing offense. Um, they were just, you know, it's hard to win in Kent state, but like, for the last few years, they've had an amazing offense in the MAC, and so Sean Lewis has done a really great job.
0: It's a really yeah. good hire. Really good That's
1: a great hire. Um, and,
0: and they were flawless. And like like you said, the penalties very few. Like they had a few false starts, maybe like three or four at, at bad times. But like they they're so the the skill guys are so good, the offense is so good that they were like I was like, there's no way they're going to overcome this. And it's like they overcome. And I'll say this as the his as historians, and this is kind of what we do here. One of the things, and it goes back to what Carl said, one of the things that stood out about what Shadour Travis Hunter said is, like, the competition wasn't that different. And it brought me back to this this quarterback, Joe Gilliam, Joe Gilliam Jr. And one of the things he said when he came out in 72, so he went to Tennessee State, and by that time, he's the best black quarterback ever, uh, you know, regardless of, you know, HBCU or or PWI. And obviously, he's coming out of HBCU. And one of the things he said to a reporter was like, when he was comparing himself to white quarterbacks, like they never had to face the type of talent that I had to face, right? Like he was very clear on, on bigging up HBCUs, right? Like, wait a minute. You're worried about me and the level of competition I face. These guys are all over the NFL, right? Now, obviously, today the, the story has changed because of integration, right? He's saying this at really the beginning of Southern football integration, but just that, that how clear it was and how powerful that statement is, right? Like this level here is not that different. In fact, Shadour had his best game ever, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Passing wise, when he stepped up against a team that was in the national championship who shouldn't have been there, but you know, Jim Harbaugh is Jim Harbaugh. Um, <laughs> and, and so Michigan finds a way to blow it at the end. But the other thing that brings it to me is like his – and I, I know I talk about how he's the best quarterback in college. And, and Caleb Williams is so good because he's off schedule great, like perhaps better than anybody, like where he gets can get off platform and he can make a play. But what got me excited about Shadur – is that he brings you back to that classic quarterback, right? Like, you know, somebody who's finishing up a book on on <laughs> black quarterbacks, and that proposal's done, ladies and gentlemen. So if you're a if you're a publisher, you know, that was some money, my way. Now, but I'll say this: he's the classic guy, right? He's a that's what he is. I was shocked that he didn't get his dad's speed, but those early pioneers, whether you're talking James Harris, whether they are talking about Joe Gillum or guys like Doug Williams, he's built in that same mold where he's going to stand in the pocket. To the very last seed. Now he took a couple sacks. But he's going to stand in the pocket. To the very last seed. And he's going to hit his guy. And the knock on black quarterbacks. And this is why they had to be so good. Was that they're going to run. Right. They're going to take off. Now these guys could have run. They're, 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 all those pioneers were like four or seven guys. Briscoe's like a four or five guy. But he's tiny. But Shadur is about a four or six guy. You can't even tell. Because he's going to stand in there. Until he sees the whites of the defense eyes. And he's going to make that play. And but a lot of times he didn't have to because he was so good first read. Like he was so like, boom, here's the play God, That last touchdown. It was amazing. He just hit it and he went. And I think he's like, to me, he's that, he's that prototype, right? Like he's like, we're so used to seeing these newer black quarterbacks as being athletic, being able to throw off platform, Anthony Richardson, who could throw it probably 70 yards off platform. But here's this guy who's going to stand in this pocket, right? He, he is, he's, like a Tom Brady-ish, right? I'm not, he'll never get to that level because nobody's about Patrick Mahomes will get there. But the fact that he's he's well schooled like that. Like, no, you're a pocket quarterback and you're gonna stay there. That's what surprised me so much. And I was also shocked by how many people in ESPN never tuned into Jackson State and had never seen him play. And everybody was just shocked. It's like, what are you guys doing? Like, you have unlimited abilities to watch all the football games in the world and that's your job like I've never seen him play that that just totally threw me off cuz I thought everybody had already scouted him and watched well, him play. No,
1: so, let me before Carl comes in about Caleb. Uh like I, that was shocking because I was like, dude, Travis Hunter was the number one player coming out of high school like two years ago. Right. You at least put in for that dude, right? And he you would have saw the other guy. But go ahead. You're you you got to respond with this Caleb. wish your Caleb Williams? Defend defend your family's name. I think wait, talk about I don't think Caleb's bad. I just a prisoner of the moment and I saw Shador and I think
0: that guy is better.
2: I, I I got I I got nothing. I got nothing. No, I I, I got something. I mean, Caleb, Caleb Williams, where he gave us what nine touchdowns over two games, first two games of the season with no picks, uh, something like six hundred yards, and he only played to the ten minute mark of the third quarter in the last game. Right, Nevada, San Jose uh, State, yeah, go. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That, 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 was who he, that was who he did it against. Right. And I mean, you know, it's a defense. He he threw for 500 and Caleb Williams is just under 602 games in. Um, But we can't act like, you know, when we saw Caleb jump into the, the into the fire. Right. The Red River R- Red River rivalry game with Oklahoma and Texas. Right. That he carried that team to a win that his sophomore year. He comes to USC transfers with his, kid, with his coach wins the Heisman. And then, I mean, he's back. Right. Like, you know, Bill Plasti wrote a very interesting article in the UCLA Times. Um, I mean, the LA Times, um, oh where, I, 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 where, he was, where, where where he said that, you know, the interesting thing is after two weeks that people don't seem to be talking about Caleb Williams. And part of it is Lincoln Riley hasn't been kind of bigging him up that they just seem so focused on winning like a championship this season that they hope they don't overlook the narrative of just how good he is playing right now. Um, but 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 I think his numbers will stand on its own, right? And I I do think he throws from the pocket better than what you uh you 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 might be giving him some credit for. I think he's averaging something like twelve yards or you know per attempt uh this season. I think the last game it was like thirteen yards per attempt. Um, and that that's why you know he ends up with kind of you know these crazy statistics by the end of the game. But um, but yeah. So I mean, you know, we'll we'll see. I mean, I'm excited for Shador. I want to see him do well. I mean, three point eight million dollars ain't nothing to be, you know, you know, turn your nose up down at. But um, but you know, it'll it'll get settled September thirtieth, right, in Boulder. Oh, will, I hope they're both to.
0: undefeated, but they won't be because Colorado's just not. Colorado's just not good. Colorado is USC after the infractions, right? Like recovering yeah. from the Reggie Bush state, right? Like. Like, he should have gotten fractions, but that's where they're at, right? They they literally started a whole new program from scratch. It is the Orlando Magic, the Minnesota Temporals in the first year with some skill, with the number one draft pick, right? With some skill players. But no, I don't think Shador's number one. I think Caleb's number one. Moving forward, it's going to hurt him in the pros as we, he's the number one pick. What's going to hurt him is obviously he's six foot and he's going to have to get moving, but it's, he's going to. To Arizona, and I think that's going to hurt him. Like, if that organization doesn't get their stuff together, I feel bad. I, I really feel bad for him because it seems like they I, dropped I the ball on this Trubisky, kind of Murray. Thing.
1: I think you know, you know how this draft process we'll come back and revisit, the, but the, the kid out of North Carolina, uh, May is uh, uh he's a he's a he's a he's a play, he's a player, dude. he's a beast, yeah. But the NFL
0: messed he, that up with Trubisky, and I think. And they passed up on Deshaun and Patrick Mahomes. And I don't know if you want to – the safest thing to do with your number one pick is pick Caleb Williams, and you won't get fired, right? Yes.
1: Well, yes. And it all depends on this. Again, this is the year, right? And I think May – I think North Carolina is a much better ran operation than they were last year. And he put up crazy numbers last year. I think he'll look the part in a much more polished way – because the offensive coordinator won't be trying to run like a hundred plays a game, right? So he's gonna have to be much more intentional, and you'll you'll be able to see, mate. You run when you run all those plays, you lose fact, you lose track of the fact that, um, man, like he threw that was a great pass, but dude, they're already at the line of scrimmage. We ain't even have a chance to look at the replay yet, right? Like, and so some of that is gonna actually help him. The other thing that's gonna hurt Caleb Williams is like you, this Pack Ten, you know, the Pack Twelve is actually gonna intentionally try to hurt. USC, the fact that they had a, the, they had Caleb Williams and he had two games and like, it, if only if you had what Carl has as a fire stick, could you find them on television, right? Like, <laughs> like, um, and, and you know, and it's like people don't have the, I mean, that is the common refrain about what trying to the Pac 12. I mean, this is why the Pac 12 is imploding, right? Like they have this television deal that no one can see. And so the why and what, and, and you know, why would in the world would you put the dude who just won the Hosman Trophy, who plays in the second largest media market in the country, even if they're playing San Jose State or Nevada, why is that not on a, a TV so that you can see? Because now that ship is sailed and they're punishing, you know, really UCLA and USC are going to, because they feel like they're the ones that pulled the
2: plug on this operation. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, I, I like Drake May a lot too, uh, by the way, Derek. But, but, but I, th- I do think, you know, when we revisit this conversation around draft time, it is going to be interesting to see where somebody like Shador falls, right? Um, because I do think, you know, I, I think he has the potential to keep up a really high kind of rate. But but, but to your point, you know, to our point about what we've been saying, you know, it depends on Colorado's success too, right? Like, like there are, this is a quarterback draft, right? Like, I mean, we're talking Caleb Williams, we're talking Shador, we're talking Drake May, but we're talking Michael Penix, we're talking... Nix, we're talking Quinn Ewers, we're talking J.J. McCarthy, we're talking Riley Leonard, the kid from Duke, my man right? from we're, Tennessee, right? We're, yeah, we're talking, that kid's got a cannon. Right? Yeah, 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 Joe Joe oh Milton, yeah, yeah. Jordan Jordan Travis at Florida State, right? Like all of a sudden, this like quarterback draft is is one that you know GMs have to be drooling about. Uh,
1: and, I, and I think Jimmy you're right. Put himself back in the conversation. I think that right. his, I, this I, year I, Oregon State's he's gonna he's not gonna be first day. But he gonna be back in that top three picks because you gonna look at the measurals. You gonna like, dude, that dude's six six and he's two hundred and forty pounds. He gonna get a job. He's
0: gonna get himself a job. Whereas last year he, he, he played himself well, he out was, of a job. He was the number one guy after Trevor Lawrence, and it just didn't just didn't work out. And I think you know Oregon State's gonna allow him, and I'm so I'm pretty excited for that.
2: Uh, so, it, so yeah, it, so while Caleb will keep you higher and you have to you know take him with number 1 if he, if he decides to come out right he's, he's he's played around with the you know I'm making so much money in college I might come back depending on who has the number 1 pick um you know we we'll, we we'll, we we'll, we'll see i think it's an interesting thing to keep an eye on with this quarterback heavy draft for sure
1: i will say this and this is what we i think we should end, is that at this point i think we'll talk about this later is that this draft as a quarterback position with these black quarterbacks but this whole cohort of quarterbacks is going to be a massive changing of the guard of the NFL quarterback situation. And we see this, like, you know, we still got Aaron Rodgers. We still got, you know, we still got Matt Stafford. We still got some of the older generations. And we got those mid-tiers. Obviously, Patrick Mahomes is the great. But, like, that that middle-bottom-tier quarterbacks, like, that that have gotten chances. They're young. They haven't really produced. The Ryan Tannehills of the world. Um, like, even if you've already drafted a quarterback, like, Tennessee got two of them that he drafted back-to-back. I can see you'll see rosters being like, you know what, this is our chance to get somebody and stash them on the bench and see if they pan out. We're going to see a massive influx of of new guys, and we're going to see you know quarterbacks that have had jobs for a decade. Uh, we might not see them next year, and I think that'll be a, a really fantastic thing to watch just in the future.
0: Right, and I say this one of the things I. I wrote about in the epilogue, <laughs> but I think it's uh to me it's like the Justin Fields of the world, the Anthony Richardson's. I know he's a freak at like 6'4", 250, but that's just like picking him at four. That that changes the game, and it only happens because of someone like Jalen Hurts has that success. But as we say, as we rattle off the next name of the the crop of quarterbacks for twenty twenty four. None of them are like you, right? Like, it's just this weird thing, but they're all, like, super into Even someone like a Spencer Rattler is super enticing for a lot of these GMs. So, so the crop of quarterbacks there, the crop of young black quarterbacks is there. Like, I don't think anyone's going to get Malik Cunningham to where it was clear. Like, he did really well. Uh, this offseason and and the browns their rookie right now from UCLA mm. that kid looks legit wow. he'll never play because they gave Deshaun like a guarantee. they just broke the what is it like a guaranteed two thirty they'll have to move yeah. off him but it's 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 looking like the future as I say in the beginning of my book is black. Uh but anyway um yeah so, so, be so I huh?
1: don't be sending it all the way
0: I'm giving it all away for free. Ninety nine. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, I'm so I'm super excited. Real quick, can we get some? We got to go. But NFL predictions. Like I'm, I'm. By the way, my fantasy team looks great. I got Jalen Hurts, but I'm thinking I would say Chiefs, but I don't know what's going on with Travis uh, Kelsey here and that knee. But Chiefs and Cowboys are looking to me
1: looking like Super Bowl. I can't pick the Cowboys, dude. Like I, there's the they ain't wanna play have they won a playoff game, one playoff game in the last year they beat Tampa Bay. Yeah. Oh, okay. They won that two, counts. Two two playoff games in fifteen years or something crazy like that. Um I don't know. I think the Chiefs are the team to beat until they're until they're beaten. Um on the other side, I think San Francisco is as messed up as their quarterback situation is, their defense is like hard. <laughs> they're gonna well, they going to they got to pay somebody though. They gonna eventually have to pay somebody, but they ain't gotta, they gotta pay, pay, Bosa. They we'll ain't pay. this year. They'll be all right. So I think, you know, I think the AFC is a little more stacked than the NFC, but that's just you know, the Eagles I think are probably as poised as anybody else.
0: Yeah, yeah. Hopefully yeah. Jalen, because that's my guy. Go ahead,
2: Carl. Tell tell
0: us about Atlanta Falcons and who.
2: No, 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 no. But shout out B. John Robinson, right? Uh you hopefully y'all all pick him up on y'all fantasy, you know, now that he's up to R B one. Uh he's gonna get some carries under Arthur Smith. Um Lou, I'm gonna have to go with you, man. I mean I I am gonna we'll call it Chiefs and Cowboys too. Um, uh, you know, the, the 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 greatest quarterback of all time against um, uh, you know, America's team for whatever that, you know. That's right. Back to back black
0: quarterbacks in the Super Bowl. That's what we're going with.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> my, my, I just, I just can't pick the 49ers or Eagles out of goodwill, and I don't think there's another team in the NFC. Um, yeah, they don't see just, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so it's poised for the Cowboys to go ahead and you know sneak on in.
1: And Jerry right. Jones,
2: it's Jerry Jones' swan song, baby. He's gonna you know croak on the other side. No,
1: I'm joking. Wow. There's a you, stop, you stop
0: you stopped school integration one time in nineteen fifty seven and it come after you.
1: Whoa. Goodness <laughs> gracious. Whoa. Wow. All right. Josh, <laughs> On that note before, <laughs> yeah. school, before we get yeah. before we all get canceled. <laughs> yeah.
0: Dang us canceled. All right. Peace. Uh. Peace. <laughs>